So, it's 2023. We're in Midland, Texas. It's Kessler's Hall. We are going to begin a panel discussion with professionals from Lenovo, NVIDIA, and Geocomputing. This is being recorded, so we'll have the opportunity to pass this along to everybody that's here, that's present, and we'll get this story started. So in, in PBE fashion, we always start the show with a three, two, one, and then we go, let's go. <laughs> so I need you guys in on this. Yep. All right, I think we can do that. All right. <laughs> I want to hear the Christmas spirit on this. You ready? Ready. Yes, yeah, ready. Three, ready. Two, two, one, let's go. go. I am the host of the PBE podcast. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Merry Christmas. Happy to be here. We are at the West Texas Geological Society's Christmas party, but it's not just them. There's four societies tonight that come together. We have the geologists that study the rocks. They study the basin, and they model it. They model the basin through geologic time, and they're trying to figure out when did the oil get made and where is that oil. Then we have the Permian Basin Geophysical Society, the PBGS. That's the second society. These are the geophysicists. So you have your basin, you know where it's at, you know where you need to drill, but how do you optimize it? Let's put sound waves in the ground, let's get a lot of this data back, and let's start figuring out what's really, let's get an image of the subsurface. Then we have the SPWLA of the Permian Basin. These are the wireline log analysis guys, right? They're the wireline guys. So when we drill a hole, you run your petrophysical tools, gives us gamma ray, neutron density, resistivity, sonic, and we tie that from a borehole to the seismic chute that's a a hundred square miles, right? And you tie that to all the rest of the logs. And then we have, of course, the SCPM, the Society of Sedimentologists, essentially. Those are the four societies that made this party come together. And we got you guys to come here, share your time, share your story, and tell us what you guys are doing that's helping this industry, that are helping these professionals who live in Midland, who do this every day in oil and gas and try to model all that data, try to combine all that data and make sense of it and ultimately you know, get our recovery factors up, get more oil out of the ground. So welcome to West Texas. Who wants to start? Brad, you want to introduce yourself, sir? Sure, I can do that. Uh, so my name is Brad Violin. I am a senior product manager with Lenovo. And um, as this continues to fall... Um, we'll tighten it up. So um, if you've not heard of Lenovo... Perhaps you have a ThinkPad laptop that sits in front of you on a daily basis. That's where most people know us from. Um, But we are much more than that, right? So we are actually the hardware base that underpins uh, the geocomputing solution along with with NVIDIA. So we'll talk a little bit more about that as the night goes on. But my background is I am an IT nerd through and through. Um, <laughs> my degree is in network engineering, so I've always been a, a computer guy. Okay. Um, so I started my career with Cisco Systems, which, oh, cool. you know, networking giant, being a networking engineering major, that was a natural fit. Where'd you get your degrees? Um, Purdue University in West Lafayette, Indiana. Nice. So made my way down to North Carolina, where I live now. Um, and I've been with Lenovo now since uh, 2016. Okay. So, and watched it grow, you know, into, um, you know, the, the company that it is today. So When you got into Lenovo, yep. right in 2016, was it oil and gas focused, energy focused? Was it? No. Okay. No. In fact, what you're seeing is it's only been probably in the past, I would say, two to three years that we've really started focusing on different verticals, oil and gas being one of our major ones that we focus on. Nice. Um, you know, where... We, we don't want to just sell hardware anymore, right? We want to sell solutions. That's right. Right, And that's where our, our key partnerships with companies like Geocomputing and NVIDIA come into play, where 
you know, we're not just selling pizza boxes, right? We're selling complete solutions that actually help our customers, you know, solve their business challenges. How much do you know about geology? Um, I, I know a, a difference between a rock and a cloud. <laughs> 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 We're going to get into that. We're going to get into that. So I'm hoping to learn a lot more about that. All right, man. Right on. Well, thanks. Jason, please introduce yourself. Okay. So my name is Jason Knutson. I'm from Houston, Texas. I work for NVIDIA. Um, and when I was growing up, half the people I knew went into the oil business wow. the, out of Houston. The other half moved away. <laughs> I went into technology. So I've always been the technology friend you've had uh, with the oil companies out of Houston. And so I've been with a lot of major oil companies today with NVIDIA, previously with uh, EMC, IBM, Intel. Uh, so I've been around a lot of the really big tech companies and always covering oil and gas, variety of capacities for folks doing offshore and all the technology needs they had to folks onshore, like at Permian, needs they've had. Um, where does NVIDIA fit? We'll talk about that, but NVIDIA is pretty pervasive now, and it's, there's, there's really only two questions you need to know. Um, one is, will AI kill us? <laughs> and the, the other one is, will AI help you find oil? Uh, the first one is a no. The second one's a maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> so we'll get into that some, hopefully. And um, Okay. Um, I've been with NVIDIA for eight years. Eight years now yeah. with NVIDIA. And so you had oil and gas kind of terminology. You had an understanding of industry long before you got into NVIDIA. I tried to get the uh, CEO of Intel and the CEO of Exxon to do a PR gig on an offshore oil well. Was not much left of me after like the legal groups got a hold of me, but... <laughs> Yeah, I've been around a while, and that was many years ago. So, Man, what an attempt. They, yeah, I'm still allowed to, to participate in the industry. <laughs> <laughs> they haven't kicked you out yet. Not yet. No, no, not yet. <laughs> and, John, sir, please, let's get into your story, man. Like, when, when people say BP or Exxon, you, know, you, you got all these people that are in industry. They're at these big companies. You always wonder, you know, how did you even get into it? What was it like when you were there? How do you transfer out of something like BP where most people – and certainly in the younger you know, generation that's coming out of school, they're like, that's the goal. I want to be there. You've been there. You're after. Now you're out of yeah. it. You're with Reba Solutions. I want to get a little bit of, into that with, uh, with you. Please introduce yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. So um, my journey to get here has been quite an adventurous journey. So um, I started out actually, I was in law enforcement. I was a police officer for about eight years prior to joining BP. Um, and in that, in my role there, loved it. It was great. Served, served my country. Did you know? Did my duty. Yeah. Um, I didn't make that much money. So this was in the '90s, early '90s. Okay. So I started building computers. I was had a knack for it. So I started building computers, selling computers, making a little extra money. Got pretty good at it. Um, wow. So I saw the future of computers, because this is before everyone had a home computer, so I saw the, the opportunity. Wow. Um, what I did from there is I did, I had an opportunity, because of what I was doing there, I had an opportunity to work for BP, so they gave me a job offer. I started in the chemical stream uh, outside of Victoria, Texas. Oh, you started on BP on the chemical in side? In the chemical side, yeah. Oh. So I've been in the chemical stream. Um, I worked at the chemical stream probably late 90s, 98, 97, 98. I started till around 2002, 2003. Then I transferred to upstream with BP, and then I moved to Houston. 
Wow. So that's how I got into oil and gas. So what's your background? Technical background from school? and for, Like, you know, you had a knack for... So, yeah, my background is criminal justice, but I was doing IT work. So at the chemical plant, I started supporting the environment, the servers, the phone system, the network, Jeez. everything, everything. So what it did for me in the late 90s is it got me a base of experience, a base of exposure to, in a sense, every aspect of what it takes to deliver like a corporate IT environment or an enterprise environment. Okay. It was great. I loved it. The chemical plant was a blast. I got to climb up on 60-foot <laughs> towers, doing networking, riding a bicycle around the plant, and it was. It, it, I loved it. It was great. And you went from chemical facilities, yep. kind of production side, yep. to upstream. To upstream oil and gas, yep. So now I transferred... Again, I, was, I have a technical background, hands-on technical background. I moved then to, to upstream, and I started working on the support team for the geoscience community, all these people here. So the, the computer systems, back office, front office systems, desktops that they use to run their applications to find oil, I was on that team supporting them day to day to day. So I was face-to-face -face with the geoscience users every day, every yeah. day. So exploration, guys. Yes. Exploration, guys. Exploration production, yep. Is that kind of when you first saw firsthand the, the amount of data and all the different formats it's all in, and you started getting a real, like, a visual of, like, wow, like, what, what is all this? Yeah, so I, it, with the type of data in chemicals and other kind of businesses is not like the geoscience data, the seismic, the sizes in the geoscience space are huge. The the workloads they do super complex. They use 20 applications to run through, you know, to get an out, a, a product. So one funny thing, when, when I first came from chemicals to upstream, one of the first things I did is I sat down with my team and I said, okay, I want to see the workflow. Can you guys show me the geoscience workflow? And they said, okay. So I got a geoscience person in this to run the application. And I'll describe it. And this is back when it was Unix, right? So you, had to, you open up a terminal on your screen, you run a command, a menu thing pops up, you select your session, <laughs> you select your project, windows pop up, you move those out of the way because you don't need them, but you can't close them. <laughs> you then select your project, you find your data, get your session, get your color bar, and Jeez. now you can start working. And when I first saw it, I'm not joking. I said, okay, that's funny. Now show me really the real applications. Jeez. And they said, no, this is it. That, that's it. And I said, <laughs> how do these people put up? Why do they put up with this? And they just went, that's just how we've always done it. Yeah. That's how we do it. Yeah, because you can imagine the geologists and geoscientists, they got paid to get in those big roles. They didn't come from any kind of real background of that, of visualizing this data in a much more, it's totally different world. I mean, what, so BP actually got super lucky to actually get, get you figured out from chemical to geoscience and have that perspective at that company. Yeah. And what, what BP did is when I got there, this was, I started, like I said, 2002, 2003, um, around 2005, we had, I, I was on a team that we had 20 sites around the world. I think it was somewhere around 4,000 geoscience people at 20 different sites wow. scattered in every region of the world, just data centers all over the place. And BP did a, a huge project at the time to standardize, consolidate, and make everything the same. So we had, at that time, we had 20 sites. Each site was doing their own thing. So it was the cost, the, the management for BP. Yeah. It was out of control. Yeah. Just, so BP said, stop. 
we're going to standardize this. And so they spun up, it was a big project at the time, um, about a $55 million project to standardize the infrastructure, the computing infrastructure, the back office components of it, and then their next phase was to standardize the workflow. And so they created this big program. I got moved into that program. That program eventually turned into a, a service line called PCE, which is Petrotechnical Computing Environment. And then luckily I got elevated and was in a position where they offered me to run that organization. I, so I ran the PC standards team for BP globally. What year is this? What, what year is this by now? By now, what year? What? What year at this, at oh, this point? Oh, so that was, we started that program in 2005. Oh, It wow. probably took us two years to complete it. So we're in this 2006-ish. So this is within 10 years of, yes. st of starting. Yeah. And, and so we were, what our goal was is we wanted to be able to just send a rack of gear to Angola or, you know, wherever, Azerbaijan. And all they would have to do is kind of plug it in, push a button. It would build up. And there'd be a geoscience workstation, servers, networking in it. That was our goal. Yeah. The technology at the time wasn't quite there with virtualization. This is 2006, 2007. Uh, remote 3D graphics wasn't quite there. So we got close, but we never got to the place that I wanted to be. So um, over the years, we kept refining it, trying to get it there. And uh, the PCE team was it was beloved by the geoscience community just because we gave them performance stability and the the workflow for them was much 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 easier jeez yeah now so once you get it to what year did you start getting it into something that you felt like this was a product that in all these different sites they were all really getting it it was easy to use they were really understanding it yeah it started to really roll what was happening there How, when did you get there so as from 2007 to 2012. Okay. That's when I left BP. Um, the, the technology was coming, it was getting better and we were refining and we were getting close to, I would call it productizing this for BP. Yeah. Um, but we still weren't quite there. And there's a number of reasons, big corporate stuff, you, you know, IT wanting to do its thing, geoscience, yeah, sure. the business want to do their thing. So there was that going on. Um, but what I did is I decided to leave BP and come to geocomputing. So um, when I went to, came to geocomputing, I bought half the company. We had, I think, four employees, but they, had a, they were good, solid, yeah. you know, good technical employees. And we started doing technical projects, migrations, building out these infrastructures. The same thing I was doing at BP. Well, one by one by one, I had on my core team, my development team in BP, I had about 18 people um, geocomputing, we were doing pretty good. First year, we had four employees. I think by the end of the first year, I had 20. By the end of the second year, I think we were around 30 or 40. Jeez. So we, or we, were going, we were growing like this. So When you were at BP and you were figuring you were going to leave, what was that like? Was Man, that it was hard. Yeah. BP was good to me. They re I was on their leadership track. Uh, it took me over a year to decide to do it. Jeez. I thought about it for a year. I live my life by math, and so I calculated all the odds of, okay, yeah. if I quit and I fall on my face, and what's going to happen? And when I looked at it all, it, it was kind of an even, if it didn't work for me, I could kind of probably get back the same thing I had. So I made the choice that I need to do this because, because I thought my, 
upside and the upside of what I wanted to do, I just saw it and I believed it. I knew it was there, so I made that choice. To leave. But I hated to leave because BP was good to me. They were great to me. They really were. So we'll get into some questions here in a minute. I want to end this by you, you got us through BP. You're kind of transitioning out. You're now you, you went out and you did you took this risk. You found a good group of core people to build around, and you started yep. building this. Twelve years. Yes. Now to build the years. product. Yes. You built a product. What were the biggest kind of milestones in the last 12 years that really get us to today with Reva Solution? Yeah. I'll tell you, the biggest milestone is not a technical milestone like you would think. Yeah. The biggest milestone to get past that tipping point was the culture and the behavior of how oil and gas delivered technical computing. They've been doing it for years and years and years the same way, right? And so trying to get oil and gas to change, they know there's a better way to do this. Here it is. The resistance is huge. Oil yeah. and gas doesn't like to change things drastically, at least in our space, right? Sure. So that, that was really the biggest hurdle. By the time I left um, BP, the technology was pretty much just about there. So the technology wasn't the problem. It was really the culture, the culture of how things were delivered. Man, well, right on. Yeah, that was a pretty good background. Thank you for that. Yep. Um, I'm going to take a pause and say thank you to TGS for their North Pole specialty drink. I don't know if you guys got this yet, but it's a good Two, two of them. <laughs> I, I saw that. I need to try it. Yeah. yeah I got two tickets left. It's going, uh, nice. it's going that way. No, it's, uh, it's nice. It's tasty. Uh, let's get into some questions. I want to get kind of the, the the engagement here between what all all this is, right? Lenovo, Nvidia, geocomputing, coming together with totally different paths and environments and, and the whole thing. And now it's coming together for Reva Solution. That's fascinating yep. to think about. Brad, let's start with you. Sure. I'm going to jump in with saying uh, the cloud, right? You hear this idea like, oh, what cloud are you on? Are you on iCloud? Are you on the Amazon cloud? Like what, the cloud, right? Just the idea. What, give us some basics of just the cloud. So, so cloud can mean a lot of different things, right? And a lot of people think cloud is a place and it, it's really not just a place, right? So, you know, in our personal lives, you gave iCloud as an example, right? It's, <clears throat> it's become more and more pervasive, right? Where we have this idea of what we call public cloud, right? Public where cloud. public cloud is where you have resources, and it could be something as simple as your photo collection on your iPhone, yeah, right? Yeah, right. That is stored you know, in a system that is shared with every other iCloud user out there, right? right. And it's you know, located, it could be thousands of miles from you, but you know, it, it's a, essentially a service that's offered to you right. that you could take advantage of, and it comes with some benefits of ease, right? Think sure. about how easy it is to turn iCloud on. Right. When you need to buy more storage space, you simply provide a credit card number and yeah. oh, they're Apple always charges quick. you, right? Yeah. And, it, and it's instant, right? Yeah. You know, think about if you were to try and duplicate that in your own home, the kind of hardware it would take. If you wanted to have this local database, if you will, of your photos that you, you know, hosted in your own house. Right, yes. just the infrastructure, and then when you need more storage, you got to go out and buy drives for it, and all right. this other stuff. So, so cloud really is this delivery model that really helps, you know, not only people but companies get the resources they need and get them quickly. That makes sense. So, when you look at, at at public cloud in terms of in the industry, you hear things like Amazon Web Services, Google Cloud, yeah, right, companies like this, where kind of the same model is. 
hey, I need IT resources, I need compute, I need storage, instead of actually, you know, going through the, um, the process of buying the hardware and putting it in your data center or your colo, whatever, you can go out to these services, you can give them a credit card number and in 30 seconds you get what you need. But there are also you know, things you have to consider with that. Security, right? Yeah. If you're in a, what we call a multi-tenant environment, like an apartment building, you're sharing that environment with a whole host of other people. Right? And the other thing too is just that, that distance. If where your resources, where your data is sitting is 3,000 miles away, the amount of latency that's introduced, just going back and forth, those 3,000 miles, can slow your application down pretty considerably. So you have to take all these things into account where you know something that is more of a private cloud solution may be a better option, where you're still getting a similar delivery model, you're still getting some of that goodness and that ease, but instead the hardware may actually sit inside your data center or inside a, a, a co-location that you've um, uh, set aside essentially, yeah. right? So what we find a lot of customers with a lot of different um, industries and a lot of different solutions, they fall kind of somewhere in the middle. We call that a hybrid cloud, huh. right? They may determine that certain data sets belong and it's cheaper and it's more efficient and we don't need to worry about performance or security. Right. We put them in you know, an Amazon web service or something but then we have other things that we do keep on premises, right? That we keep on our own hardware that we own because of you know, those security performance, things of that nature. So there's really a, 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 a spectrum and a gamut to find what the right cloud solution is for a customer. And that kind of goes to the question I want to, I want to pass to Jason too, mm -hmm. is like you, I think when I got into industry, I started seeing the internal servers, right? We had an IT department. Yep. He had a stack of servers. Yep. He was talking his managers into giving me an AC unit dedicated to this room so I could keep it all cold. And, yep. and we had this massive database that was all organized in some kind of thought process, right, that someone did 20 years ago. And we all just formed to that and started trying to find data. And, and like, But what I was seeing was this big disconnect in this analog or really the papers of the logs and like the actual data that's now digital and then the duplications and the I mean what what has transpired in oil and gas from your perspective <laughs> in the from the yeah digitally yeah my friend that's a great question because I think of Chuck with this question so Chuck was this old geologist and I when I was with Intel late 90s early 2000s Everybody was buying big, expensive workstations back then. Yeah. And they were building data centers. And so I walk into a data center build. Chuck was in there, this old man, and he unrolled this scroll. <laughs> and I'm like, what you doing, Chuck? Because I knew the guy. I'm like, what you doing, Chuck? And he's like, I'm looking for oil. I'm like, let me help you. <laughs> so I walked over, and I'm like, all right, you know, it's the squiggly lines, you know, all the squiggly. And I go, oh, well, there it is right there. And Chuck looked right at me, and he goes, Son, keep your day job. <laughs> so at that point, I, know, I think I realized I was dealing with oil and gas customers and their increasing needs because they were going from that scroll of paper to a digital environment. I was talking to this guy and then I'm meeting with IT who has about $10 million, which was a lot of money in the late 90s for a data center Whoa. to build out a data center. I was with Intel. What do my servers need to look like? How am I going to get? How am I going to serve seismic, email, ERP, my geologist, all this stuff, right? So flash forward twenty years, and now 
companies like Reva or companies like Geocomputing that make Reva make it look easy. But there's a digitization that has had to happen. I mean, when I first started, I always heard this legend of a billion computer tapes of seismic in Houston. In a warehouses. Billion. A billion. Oh. These are the reel-to-reel, -reel or not reel-to-reel, -reel, yeah, but the little actual cartridge tapes. tapes. Yeah. Little cartridges, yeah. yeah. And so that was the legend. I never saw the famous warehouse that had a billion tapes. Wow. But I recognized immediately the opportunity. So in, in, my, uh, in my role with all these different tech companies, including NVIDIA, the goal has really been to help these folks get all of that data somewhere where they can make it useful. Um, working with Schlumberger, working with Halliburton, working with others. I met, I met the Patrell folks in like 1999. Whoa. Had no idea what they were doing until after I met Chuck. <laughs> after I met Chuck, I saw the light. I'm like, okay, <laughs> these guys need a machine to run this on. Yeah. As I progress, companies started to buy servers to put Patrell and Halliburton and, and uh, Kingdom and all these apps in the data center. But the, none of these folks wanted to use it because it ran horribly. It ran like crap. He said he could, I, I could use a word, right? Yeah. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> it ran like crap, which is a, a sister to another word I probably shouldn't say. <laughs> but the, the point was very relevant. I'm with NVIDIA. I make cards that gamers of the world are uniting on because it is the best experience they've ever had. And I can't make a geologist happy. Man. And so we began to work on that. Um, and it was a triad of companies over the years. We talked about NetApp. We talked about Cisco. We talked about EMC. But it wasn't until geocomputing came with Reva that my life got easier. Wow. So when, when Reva started introducing their product to some of my customers, I stopped getting calls for technical support. And I'm with NVIDIA. We don't do technical support. So that was myself, my engineers. We were, you know, we were all pre-sales staff, right? And so um, that, for me, that was an evolution. Maybe not everybody recognizes, but now there's nobody in this room that can't sit on their laptop if they're running this guy's software and have the same experience they would have if they had a $40,000 workstation on their desk. Wow. Yeah, you really took us through all that and connected it back to, to geocomputing, which is obviously the next question for John. You know. There seems to be this progression in the com computing power of what we're trying to do at the workstation, all in the workstation and near some hard drive close to us. And now we're saying you can outsource this idea, you can get more power, and you can hook up to something that might be a thousand miles away, but it's got way more storage than you ever want to deal with. Geocomputing has come together to try to build this solution and the question is this, the industry comes from this kind of systemic, like standardized infrastructure, and now the workflows and the data types creating poor performance and extremely long time, that's what it used to be, the results uh, in turn are oiling, you know, the oil and gas industry is trying to better that. And that's right. what, today we have that, Reva Solution is that. Where do you go, where do you, how do you explain this? How do you get it into the office? So the way, the way you get it into the office, it can be consumed either on-prem. So Reva's basically a private cloud. Everything in a rack, with, it's got everything, storage, networking, desktops, and then the customer's application, Petrel or Halliburton, whatever the application, wow. we support them all, we install them on. So we can install it in their, their own data center, in their office, in our data center, or a combination of that. So it's very easy to, 
to, to for the for the companies and the customers to consume it. We're very very flexible, unlike the the public clouds that have. You know, a data center in Virginia, right. and if you want to run stuff, you connect there. We can we put our when we do our cloud, we put it in a region close to the customer, so that the latency is very low, and they get instant. They get like as if the desktop's under their desk, but it can be 500 miles away or a thousand miles away, but it works the same. Jeez, that's yeah. Riva solution. And it comes with Lenovo and NVIDIA is inside this tower you're talking about. Those are components that Lenovo and NVIDIA are making. Right. And it's connecting to more Lenovo and NVIDIA powerhouses that are somewhere else. Yep. Yeah, one, one thing that he really didn't mention is that the level of work that goes in to optimize it is Huge. incredible. Huge. And this is why we used to get calls. NVIDIA makes technology, but server vendors and, uh, and, and ISVs, uh, they have to do the integration and optimize it. Right. So what was happening is, is companies were buying pieces and parts, but they could never make it run well enough for their geologists, and it, it required optimization. And that's what these guys were doing. So it's not just geolocating things in the right region, giving the right equipment. You actually have to put your hands in the software and tweak it so that it runs, yeah. so Petrel runs, and the Halliburton runs, and all these applications run very high performance fashion. That's pretty intense, no? You get a lot of phone calls, you got a huge staff that's just taking these calls and, and handling that, or how did you, what's that, that so support? You hit on a good, you hit on a good point. Yes, we have people that take calls, but we designed Riva to minimize those calls, because that's what kills, you know, support companies, is you're, if you have a solution that's inherent with problems and you, they're going to get calls, so you have this huge support center to handle calls and respond to problems. We took it from the other side, which is let's make it so it's solid, so it doesn't break. And following on to what, what, what Jason's saying, what's different in the oil and gas environment for Petrotech compared to an IT, within an IT environment, if the network's working okay and the storage is working okay, Everything's going to be fine. Yeah. In the Petrodex space, it's not like that. If you, you can have all the infrastructure perfect, but you have a problem in your database that then ripples down to the desktop. It looks like a desktop problem, but it's a database problem. Or you can have a slight problem on your storage that looks like a problem here, and it just gets so complex. To You have to turn those knobs perfectly, know which knobs to turn, and then leave them alone and let the yep. system yeah. run. Yeah. Yeah. And that and that's one of the key things I think that you know both Nvidia and Lenovo kind of bring that solution is I always talk about the underlying infrastructure is kind of like the foundation of a house. Yeah. How many people go home at the end of the day and think about their basement or their crawl space or their slab, right? Yeah. You really don't think about yeah. it unless there's a problem with it, right? Right. So when you do the infrastructure correctly, right, and we work side by side with the engineers at Geocomputing to spec out what you know what Nvidia GPUs are needed, what what CPUs, you know, the entire specification of the hardware so that you know what we build and the reliability that Lenovo puts in its engineering behind those systems creates an environment, creates a foundation that you should never have to worry about, right? So I got a question, just it's more like psych psychological question that's come up in my mind is, you know, what do you think it was that was missing in the geology departments or in these companies on why, why are we doing this now in 2023 when it seems like we could have been 
you know, well ahead of this, or at least a little bit more ahead of this, can we yeah. build a better environment between geoscientists or are geoscientists missing something on the technical side? Like, yeah. what, what caused this? So I can give you my view, and it's based on almost 30 years or 30 years working in oil and gas. And what I've seen is oil and gas companies, let's say it's a big company, 15% um, of the staff are geoscience people or 10% are geoscience. The other 90% or 85% are business support people, technical. So they're, they're non-geoscience, non-finding oil, right? right? What does an oil and gas company do? They find oil, they drill for it, and then they sell it. So geoscience makes 100% of the money for an oil and gas company, but it's only maybe 10 or 15% of the entire the business. Staff, yeah. But what's happened, what's happened over the years is because the rest of the company, 85% of it is kind of commodity IT, I'll call it. They build a commodity IT environment and then tell the geoscience business, just use that, it'll be fine. Okay, we'll give you more memory, but it's not, the, it, the requirements are not even close to the same. The wow. needs are not even close. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you, so every industry has a group of specialists that emerge out of need. There's been so much dramatic change in oil and gas in the last, well, hell, I grew up in Houston, so since uh, since I was a kid, really. Um, like Notice said, how he's careful not to mention the year. <laughs> yeah, we don't mention age or, you know, and I got a face for radio, but a voice for silent movies. Um, but there's so much change that happens in every industry. Out of every industry emerges specialists that can really help achieve certain tasks that are high compute. Because IT is really not built to deliver a workload, to deliver an application. AI is, is the, one of the common challenges I'm dealing with now in every industry, right? Who has the expertise to deliver AI in a way that's meaningful to wow. oil and gas, for example? Right. So these guys, they emerged with an expertise that was meaningful to geology. So now we can use these applications because you can't just take component parts. Companies like Lenovo, one of the biggest tech companies in the world, Yeah. but they don't have anybody that does what geocomputing does because yeah. That's not for them where the business sense. plan or the money is. So you always have these specialists. So we can go into healthcare and we'll see certain groups of people that are really good at what they do. We can go into, you name it, manufacturing, same thing. And for, uh, for uh, petrotechnical applications, it's these guys because they chose to be that specialist. You just can't do it intuitively. Yeah. It, t it takes work. So it's more like it was really a learning experience, and, and now reflecting, it looks like, you know, what did we miss? What were we missing? But really, it was just we didn't have an environment that allowed the flexibility for this kind of power to be had 10 years ago, 12 years ago. It just wasn't there yet. We, we were still building that. I mean, I guess well, you know, and I think part of the problem was they those environments were built out from the IT and the hardware side yes. down. Yes. And what we did, and the right way to do it is, you've got to understand the geoscience workflow, the geoscience data, and then build a system, architect a system to fit for that. So yeah. we started from the workflow and the geoscience side of it and backwards into the architecture for the infrastructure. What are some of those pillars of like understanding that for a good infrastructure that's yeah. ready for these workflows? What is that? So, so to, to do it properly, you have to understand the geoscience workflow. 
You have to understand the data. You have to understand architecture. You have to understand hardware. You have to understand the networking. So, but, it, but the core of it gets down to the data, the application, and the workflow. So probably about a third of the staff at geocomputing are geoscientists, geologists, oh, nice. geophysicists, you nice. know, petrophysicists, engineers. Um, so we based our company on understanding the science and the workflow. It's, it's yeah. really amazing when you, when you do the requirements discovery correctly yeah. and you build something, when you know exactly what they need and what they're looking for, how it, the results are just infinitely better. Absolutely, wow. absolutely. Right on. All right, so it says, how's, uh, you know, how's Reva different than traditional IT? Who wants to answer that? Me? I'll answer that. <laughs> it's everybody. Brad, it's, because it's, it's purpose built for oil and gas. Right. So it's, it's purpose built for these high data transfer, heavy 3D, very, very intense computing needs of the, the geoscience application. And, and it's not a commodity solution. You don't just go buy a server and network, throw it together, and it'll work. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, yeah it's really easy for customers to um, maybe not spend all the budget and yeah. leave out. Uh, the components like NVIDIA, for example. Uh, there's not a geologist in the room that, that doesn't realize if they don't have an NVIDIA card in their workstation, the graphics are substandard, right? Yeah. There's also that same understanding that you need the GPUs in the servers because it accelerates everything. It's an accelerant. It helps things process faster. With that, he now has something to work with. He has clay that's moldable because he's getting the performance and the data and everything to where he needs it to be quicker. That's, okay, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, to your point, John, you know, it, you can look at a Riva rack, right? And you can see all the individual hardware components, you can see the software components that are into it, and you could try to duplicate that, right? Yeah. But you still don't have that secret sauce of the knob tuning that you talk about, yeah. right? It's the, it's the specialization of the software, it's the fine tuning, it's the services that you wrap around it that yeah. really make it that turnkey solution that you literally can wheel into a customer's data center or colo, right. plug in, and they can start working. Yeah, we, we, we spent 12 years, you mentioned at BP, we spent 15 years, 16 years, starting from nothing, trying to build this up. It literally took that long to get it right. It, yeah, it literally yeah. took that long to get it right. We, even in my company, we're protective of our IP and what we're doing, and some of my staff are like, well, we can't show Lenovo what we're doing because they can replicate. I'm like, let them try to replicate it. <laughs> let, them, let them try. Even know? if we could, that's let not our business, try. right? Yeah. Yeah. As you kind of yeah. said before. Yeah. Yeah. So how does it actually get physically set up? If, if tonight, perfect scenario, you got all these geoscientists in the room, someone says, I, we need this. Yeah. I want you to come to the office tomorrow. Explain to me, how do we get set up? What it actually takes? You talked about a server that physically goes into the room. It gets connected to something else, but there's security involved. Like, how does how does it actually go? What's the basics of this setup? That's a big question, but it's all those all those things are included and 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 thought about and and inside the product from the beginning. Security, all that kind of stuff. The way it really, I mean, to simplify, we do all the work on the back end of racking, stacking, configure, all that stuff. So the way it gets implemented is really we give the customer a couple of network ca cables and say, plug this into your network. <laughs> literally, <laughs> quite yeah. literally. Quite literally, we, these are the settings we need on your network. Plug these in. Here's you know here's how your users connect to it. 
It's, right. it's that and, easy. And, and give us some space on the floor to actually set yes. this thing. Yeah, because see, we install the applications. We'll load the, their data, take their data, put them in, ask the customer, give us your licenses. We'll put the licenses in there, and then we give them the fiber and say, off you go. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. Now that's pretty sweet. How big is this rack? Like, what, what goes in the office? How big is this thing? It depends on how many users. So if, if you had a company that has, say, 100 users and, a you know, five, six petabytes of data, it's probably three racks of gear, two racks of gear. Uh, a larger company that maybe there's a thousand users, it might be six racks of gear, right. eight racks of gear. Yeah. yeah. And is it humming? Like the IT guys need to put AC on this thing, keep the dust low? Like, is there maintenance on these things? Yeah, it's stand. It's, it's it, so when you really get down to the compute hardware, it's right. hardware. It's, yeah, it's, it, there's nothing necessarily special about the hardware itself. Yeah. Other than maybe you know some of the NVIDIA components and stuff that go in it that not every server has, right? But but you know and and that's why when we say you know Lenovo like we, we make the plumbing right. It's our partners that are putting their services, their software, their magic on top of it that turns it into what it really is, right? The wow. configuration tweaks are the thing that are so when something gets upgraded, an OS or an application, that's when. Our experts look at it and go, okay, what changed? And we do a bunch of testing to make sure it doesn't yep. break. We do application testing. So we actually don't just say, well, the hardware's working, it should be fine. We run the applications Dang. and test it. And, yep. and that's really where the, the, the carrying and feeding has to be in the hardware and the data center. That's the easy part. It's the configuration to keep that, in a sense, keep that Ferrari at top, at top speed. Man. Yeah. Yeah, but like even, even when you know, NVIDIA comes out with a new chipset or you know, Intel comes out with a new processor line, right? We work directly with GeoComputing's engineers to make sure that, that you know, we get it into their hands, they test it, they qualify everything so that even that piece of it is you know, taken care yeah. of, right? They don't need to worry about, is this component compatible with this component? Or if I upgrade this, is it compatible? All that's taken care of. Yeah, that, that process alone for customers and for uh, software vendors is very difficult. It takes them months. These guys master it very quickly. Man. So yeah. when someone goes, I'm in on Jew Computing, do they also get Brad and Jason's card? They're like, hey, I, you know, I'm thinking about changing something inside the Riva solution. Do you guys have the new, the new card? The new, We've had the, a few of those conversations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, it's an optimization process. So if, if I create something new that I think will be a benefit to Riva, yep. then we certainly do introduce them. And same with Lenovo. Same with Lenovo. So we'll have meetings you know, two or three times a year where we'll come in really? to the, the offices in Houston. I went to the last one where we say, okay, here's our roadmap two, three, four years out. Here's the, you know, the parts of the roadmap that we know you're going to be interested in, that you're going to be able to take advantage of. So let's start working now on you yeah. know how we plan for that, yeah. and then you know inevitably with technology, certain technology gets discontinued; it goes away. So we need to plan for those transitions, everything else, so that you know the end users should you know should be pretty seamless, right? right. They shouldn't notice these big shifts. Yeah, we do the same kind of R and and D cycles on our side. So my architecture team, we look at new technologies, we look yeah. at different things, and we go. To, to, to our got, partners yeah. and say, hey, here's what we're looking at. What do you think? And you know, we've saw this, and so yeah, it's kind of it's collaborative. So I've obviously getting ready for this. I've done my research. I've called people that I know. I've talked to them. I go, man, 
I remember running inversions, right? And our geophysicists would take four days, five days. And yeah. then something was wrong with the formula, whatever. And it was all, you know, damn, we got to wait another four or five days till we see that map. You know, where's porosity? Where's permeability? Yep. And I tell them, Riva Solutions doing it in hours, guys. Yes. And I, I just, every time I get a snap reaction when I tell them that. You know, yeah. that's, it, so there's no question about it. You're delivering a true gift, I think, this year in 2023. That's what we're talking about at this this event. I'm I'm excited about that. I want to just ask the question: How much faster do you guys think these things can actually get? If we're going from days to to hours, I mean, is it does it just keep getting faster in your? Well, really? so I would say, that, so the compute is going to continue to get faster and faster and faster. But there's a uh, a partnership with the application and the coding of the application that has to happen ah. in tandem with it, right? And so that's the, the the slowest thing usually, not usually, almost always for us is the applications are always lagging the technology, the hardware technology that's out there. So yeah. some of these applications are 30 years old that have yeah. been updated and changed and yeah. some of them are brand new. And yeah. so it that's the real, that's where the if you want to speed things up tremendously, the applications have to be rewritten. That's really... So th this is my chance to talk a little bit about AI. Yeah, <laughs> so let's do it. I'm NVIDIA. I have no choice. It's in my contract. But the reality is we, we do a lot of work with the software vendors and the guys making applications, whether they're at Stanford University doing research and creating new algorithms or whether they're Schlumberger and Halliburton making commercial apps. Um, AI is one of the tools that allows a speed up by some prediction of a lot of things in the workloads, right? There's a lot of characteristics related to these, um, to all the, all the maps and datas and things that these folks look at. And with AI, with AI, we're learning to use some prediction. So maybe at some point it could be instantaneous because it can predict that, you know, if it's a structure, that they've seen a thousand times, AI will pick it up, point it out, and move it out of the way for the geologist, right? Yeah. And be able to do that for them. They'll still need this system because the more that you can do that, the more data you add, the bigger the maps become. Wow. So you'll still need to increase compute, but the techniques will change. And I think That's interesting. AI, since AI represents a new way of coding, yeah. it will augment that. Right? Yeah, the idea you just you go to sleep, but the computer doesn't, right? It keeps looking for things. It keeps no, tracking stuff. Think of it more as like a driving assistant, right? Like nobody thinks autonomous driving really is a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. I'm glad you said it, man. To be fair, I mean, nobody, I, I'm not ready for it. Yeah. But uh, driving assistance saves lives, and geology assistance saves time. So that's what we're after. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and you know, like you said, the, the AI is just—it's going to continue to push the envelope on the compute power, right? So, you know, every generation of servers that we come out with continues to increase core densities, performance, everything else. So we're just—that—that that shows no signs of slowing down anytime soon. Yeah. Right. Well, look, the industry is not slowing down either. I mean, the largest onshore shoot in the world just happened in the Permian Basin. It's like a trillion data points or some ridiculous <laughs> thing. Like Yikes. the guy that, that's do, the geophysicist is here and he can explain to you that it was like the level of, uh, the amount of data, like 100X or something from a previous shoot to what they're doing now with 
they're they're getting these angles of sound and all these different ways and it all has data it all has information in it if you don't have something like this to break into that and make sense of it it's just going to sit there for 20 years yep exactly and and that breaking into it and, and taking that data and having that data and having it organized and managed is the key to making ai successful yep Nice. It's the only way to deal with the higher resolution. There's just so much data there. Sheesh. Guys, thank you so much for taking the time, getting here, being here in West Texas, explaining this story. I got a lot more information. I got a lot more understanding of this. I think we can share that. Thank you, John, Jason. Merry Christmas. Absolutely. Uh, Merry thank Christmas. you. Enjoyed Merry Christmas. it. Thank Happy you. holidays. Great. And we're out. Geoscientists rely on some of the largest, most complex data sets on the planet. Because of this, they spend up to 40% of their time waiting for data to load and dealing with sluggish Petrotech applications. This is frustrating and creates a huge expense and lost productivity. Additionally, a traditional decentralized system has high lifecycle costs, high application latency, and with the widespread increase in remote working, they pose a security risk which should not be ignored. Trying to stay effective in such an environment leads to poor performance from geoscientists and an unhappy, unproductive staff. We can't solve these problems by shrinking the data or by reducing the quality of visualization required. So what can be done instead? Revo is a purpose-built platform specifically created for Petrotech Workflow, a high-performance, open platform designed from the ground up to run all the top oil and gas computing applications available. Revo provides a high-performance, low-latency, consolidated environment where data can be easily accessed by geoscientists in a secure data center. Authorized users with real-time access can spend more time working with the data, enabling them to make the best business decisions. Reva is an industry-leading platform built for demanding petrotechnical workflows and large, complex data sets. Reva enables geoscientists to overcome productivity drains caused by slow data delivery, delayed application responsiveness, or unexpected downtime. Its private cloud massively reduces disruption of their work thanks to its reliability, speed, and stability. Clients who have implemented the Reva platform have seen the efficiency of geoscientists skyrocket. They are seeing a 100 to 400% return on investment in less than a year and a reduction in time to production up to 70% faster than traditional infrastructure builds and are also reporting an increase in security as the data resides in the data center. All of this means more time and potential for geoscientists to increase their personal productivity, save money on working resources, and prove their value to their organization. This paves the way for better business decisions, more productive geoscientists, and more profitable companies. If you like the idea of having the competitive edge and enjoying a better working environment, ask Geocomputing about Reva today.